We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Stealing Bananas listeners. This is Sean coming to you with a, a special notice. Before the show begins here, I'm, I'm really excited to have done this pros versus Joe's draft with Ben. There was a little bit of a technical issue with the mic on my side. It's not as high quality as usual. I'll still very easy to understand, but I apologize for that. Not Ben's fault and definitely not uh, Colum's fault. Our fantastic producer, they've cleaned it up as well as possible. So again, my apologies. Uh, shouldn't be a consistent issue and enjoy the draft. Drafting against some great industry analysts in the FFPC Pros vs. Joe's Challenge. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotovis. Sean, you had a great reaction post to the Julio Jones to Tampa Bay signing. Really enjoyed reading that. All the Rotovis subscribers definitely need to check that out. Or if you are not subscribed, get subscribed so that you can check that out. That was the big news. We might have a chance to talk about it a little bit during this draft, but we're about to start. We got the 104 again. Listeners will know that we just did a draft from the 104 on FFPC. Recently, we started Jefferson Pitts. Had a very fun team. We'll see if this one's a little bit different with this industry room. We will. And we're also going to have some of the best Joes, so some of the best high-stakes drafters in the room with us here. So it, as you mentioned, it will be an absolutely loaded draft. We see draft sharks select Cooper Cup at the 102, bypassing Christian McCaffrey. Uh, then there's a chance that Jefferson or Chase would go here, but they do not. It is Christian McCaffrey. So we again have the choice of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I think this is a tricky one because we're going to have just so many points from the Cincinnati Bengals. And if anything were to happen to T. Higgins, then I think Jamar Chase goes off in a massive way. Now, Jefferson is saying he wants to be the two, first 2,000-yard wide receiver. I think that could go to Chase as well. We expect Jefferson to have a higher target share, but maybe the pie will be even bigger for the Bengals if they really get it going. The range of outcomes tool actually gives a slight edge to Chase. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I'm willing to go the same direction we went last time. We could mix it up a little bit. You said you were going to give me this pick, but I'm going to throw it back to you. Who 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 do you prefer here? You, you can't talk till we have ten seconds on the clock and throw it back to me. You got to throw it back. Ten I already, seconds. I would take Jefferson again. I think. All right, so we will go with Justin Jefferson. What are your thoughts here on him hitting 2,000 yards? We know that Calvin Johnson got close in a season that featured one less game. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility at all that Jefferson could hit 2,000 yards. I mean, he was incredible last year. One of the big themes of stealing signals all year was how good he was, how frequently he was open, how many times Kirk Cousins missed him. Obviously, Kirk Cousins still his quarterback, but missed him on plays and in opportunities where he could have had even more production. He had uh, an early season play where he was tackled at the half-yard line. There was a review, and I, I thought he was clearly in. It didn't count. I remember there was a couple other opportunities for him to score touchdowns that didn't go his way early in the year. Pretty much the whole season, I was like, it's remarkable he's not having an even bigger season right now. We get the new offense. We get the Rams 
layer, we do get the fact that in a lot, not a lot of drafts, but in, in some drafts, we're still seeing Chase fall to six or seven. And so I do think it's a wider range of spots where it's easy to get that Chase exposure. Jefferson feels like the guy at 104. I still have Cup ahead of him. I do want to get some exposure to the running backs. And so that's why I went, even though we just took Jefferson, I wanted to go Jefferson again because I, I kind of feel like at 104, like I'm not, I'm not probably going to take him over the top three guys or want to in a lot of drafts. I feel like when I have the 104, I want to get my Jefferson exposure. I think that makes some sense. I do like the chances for Jefferson to outscore Cup this year. I would like to think that Kirk Cousins will stop making some of those mistakes and that the new offense and a little bit more pass-oriented head coach will sort of free him up to – I mean, the head coach is not going to suddenly make the quarterback just dramatically more accurate. We know that Kirk Cousins struggles with both arm strength and accuracy. And yet despite that, because of his relatively good decision-making, he's been – you know, an average to above average quarterback. And when you have some of the weapons that they have, when you have the chance for Justin Jefferson to be their version of Cooper Cup sort of plus, then I think you've got to be pretty excited to go that route. I'm also excited to take Jefferson in a situation where perhaps some of the dynamics of a massive tournament are a little bit less in play here. Obviously, we want to win our league and we want to win at the pros versus Joes overall. But we do have a little bit more flexibility then after the Jefferson pick, I think not surprisingly, we watched as Chase and Travis Kelsey go off the board in the next couple of picks. Jack drafting for establish the run takes Kelsey. We know that in this particular format, those elite tight ends make a huge impact. We were crossing our fingers and toes and desperately hoping that Kyle Pitts would come back to us in our last draft, and he did. I guess I don't expect that to happen today, but maybe with Jack already having a tight end there. He won't be the team that hits with Pitts coming back around. We then see Eckler, Stefan Diggs, Najee Harris, and Devontae Adams drafted. The second round now, I think, holds a lot of intrigue. I've witnessed some big wide receiver runs across here. I'm currently doing a slow draft with Zachary Kruger, and we had a running back run in the middle. Who are you hoping comes back to us in round two if it's not Pitts? Oh, that was an important qualifier because it's always Pitts. But, I mean, if it's not Pitts, then we just give up and go home. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I think Saquon is the other one that I would love to get at 209. He went one pick before us the other day. I was right there with you. Uh, you made a quick mention of it. I don't think I got a, a chance to agree, but was right there with you that if Pitts had gone – Saquon would have been a really interesting pick that late. I, I do think he, he has risen and he's started to go in the early second in some some situations. I do think he belongs there. I would expect in this room that he does go off before our 209. So Saquon would be the other big hope. Might not actually see that. Beyond that, I mean, I'm looking at the queue. You have CeeDee Lamb in the queue. We're going to probably see him go off as well. But if something like that were to happen, I would be very excited to get him later in the second. Closer to where I think he probably should be valued even though I'm definitely comfortable to take him uh, or willing to take him in the earlier part of the first half uh, of the first round. I, all of those guys are, or excuse me, earlier earlier part of the second round. But if all of those guys are gone and, and Liam does go here at the turn at 201, it's maybe a receiver. It's maybe Javante Williams right now for me. I, I still think he just has so much of a – and we do see Saquon go 202. But so much upside – and he, to me, he's just the purest anti-fragile pick. Anything that we might be wrong about, and Kyle Pitts goes 203. So all of those names are off the board. Anything that we might be wrong about with respect to the way that the Broncos did things in 2021, I think favors Javante Williams. And when I say wrong, I, I guess I mean the, the whole industry. But there's a new coaching staff. There was the lack of urgency to sign Gordon, and he comes back on a one-year deal the week of the draft, well into free agency. There is just the fact that Javante Williams was a very good 21-year-old rookie running back going into his age 22 season. Melvin Gordon was a very good committee back alongside him, who is now going into his age to his age 28, now going into his age 29 season. Melvin Gordon missed a game last year, 
still has only played all of the games in a season one time in his career. He's been a little bit more durable, I guess, I guess you could say, as he's been a little bit more of a committee back later in his career, which we'd sort of expect fewer touches, less, you know, nicks and, and things. But I guess I would assume that at, at 29, he has a little bit more injury risk. It's easy to think, okay, this is a 50-50 backfield because it was a 50-50 backfield last year and Melvin Gordon was good. But I think there are a lot of ways that we could miss. And if we miss, I think they all sort of shift towards Javante Williams ends up having more upside than than the default. And that Denver Broncos offense could score an absolute ton of points. Javante Williams has been a star of the advanced stats. You call it the advanced stat explorer. And you can see that he led the NFL last year in evasion rate. Someone who going into a second season, one of the things that I t- do talk about is you see a leap sometimes with these backs in terms of the yards before contact. And if he's able to add that element in, something I think that will also be a lot easier with Russell Wilson and with some of the changes that you're going to see to the offense, then you're starting to look at a guy who could average five and a half, maybe even six yards per carry. And from that perspective, he starts to move into that group with, say, a Jonathan Taylor or a Derrick Henry where every single touch could give you an absolute ton of value. He is still here. The other player that's still here has established the run is on the clock at 207 is Derek Henry, who's fallen all the way through in this injury, in this industry draft. And Jack Miller, yeah, takes Javante Williams. He does. Sharp pick from our buddy Jack. You want to... You want to look at Derrick Henry at 20. Oh, he goes off the board at 208. So we won't have to have that discussion. I like who you have at the top of the queue. Yeah, that's about all I got to say about that. I mean, I like who you have at the top of the queue. You got T. Higgins in there. Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins start is not anything to be upset about. No, not at all. One of the things about taking Jefferson in the first round that allows us to do is hit Higgins and get the other part of that receiving group. If anything were to happen to Chase, that Higgins immediately vaults to, you know, really the mid-first round value. The other option here, I think, would be Debo. Perhaps there's a little bit more chance for him to actually come back around. I think that Mike Evans is now out of the conversation with the Julio Jones signing. Yep. Evans is no longer in this this mix, so it will push up Higgins a little bit, or it should push up Debo and Tyree Kill as well. I like Higgins. Let's go that route, and that starts us with two running, ba- uh, two receivers. We were considering running backs. I'll have it known to anyone listening, this was not an intentional hardcore zero RB build, but it inevitably ends up that way. But of the seven picks before our second round pick, Pitts and Andrews went in there. The other five were all running backs. Saquon, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Javante Williams, and Derrick Henry slide stopped one pick before us. I think I could have got on board with you there at that much of a discount at 209 with Derrick Henry. Instead, we start Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins. Can't be upset about that either. No, that's a lot of fun. And you mentioned that it wasn't necessarily a zero RB build. And we'll still see how it progresses over the next couple of rounds. A running back might slide in there. But again, we get into the dynamic where if you're going to take the best player available, that often leads you to zero RB. They end up being the same thing in a large majority of the cases then I would think it's pretty awesome if Debo could slide back through to us. Do you have some other players now that you would really like to see? Obviously, uh, Travis Etienne, someone we've been drafting. Maybe he'll have a little bit more competition for early season touches than we were thinking. Darren Waller, a player who would give us that early elite tight end. I think the Las Vegas Raiders are going to score a ton of points. You know I'm a big fan of Derek Carr. The tight ends are important. In this particular format, if you get out of the first three, four rounds without one, then your win rates actually do plummet. So that might be a direction for me. If we aren't able to get a tight end here, looking at the ADP, then George Kittle tends to go around the 402, probably doesn't get back. You're starting to look at Dalton Schultz or TJ Hawkinson. What are you seeing here, both in terms of specific targets, but also thinking about structure? I like the Waller point, but Debo is still on the board one pick away. Yeah, I mean, Waller, you're, you're right. Kittle's going to go. So Waller provides us something that I, I wouldn't really be comfortable with Schultz Hawkinson at their prices. I, I just think the tight end six to 10 range is not one to target if we don't get one of these top five tight ends. And I'm not really jumping for joy about Waller. I typically feel like I'm 
settling for that pick. Debo does go one pick before us. What I was going to say is then I, I feel like I'm waiting till later. I'm looking for Pat Fryermuth. I'm looking for maybe a Kasicki or a Cole Komet or taking a swing on Albert O, even though, you know, he's not been getting the greatest, you know, not, not the greatest news out of uh, Denver camp about him. I think those guys are plenty fine upside swings rel- relative to price compared to the, you know, the 10 and six to 10 range, but Waller provides something that they don't. And so I, I fall back into Waller. I guess Tyree Hill is still there. You have like Nick Chubb is the best available running back. What do you think? Yeah, I, I prefer to get Jalen Waddle. We were able to get him in our last draft. He's falling to our pick in the fourth round a lot, which I think isn't where he should go. He should be a little bit higher than that. I think that the wide receivers for picks in our draft slot are actually pretty strong at the 409. And then you get a pretty swift fall off after that. So I think that I would like to go with Waller here. It allows us to put together a build that's going to have a very, very high win rate. Obviously, it doesn't mean that we will win, but it gives us some flexibility to also attack players like a Brees Hall or a Cam Akers or a J.K. Dobbins if they hit spots for us in the draft that makes sense in terms of value-related ADP. But I'm a little bit surprised by some of the picks that went in between our selections in round two and round three. Mike Evans was one pick after T. Higgins, so he didn't slide, as I might have expected. Then we get James Conner and Leonard Fournette, the kind of aging bell cowbacks who have a lot of upside but also a lot of risk I think that both of those offenses can probably replace their production somewhat easily if they get injured or even end up in a committee, which at this point isn't necessarily something we would expect. And then Travis Etienne, the high upside fun selection there before Alan Kamara. And Kamara at the 302, maybe this offense is going to be dynamic. The reports out of there suggested that the Saints you know, do feel comfortable with Winston flinging it around and, and maybe are willing to take some of the turnovers there. But when you consider how the offense looked last year, that Kamara was saddled with a lot more low value touches and has the specter of a suspension, even though he's a guy who's been a top five pick, you know, for the last several seasons, the 302 might be a little bit expensive for him. Yeah, it's an, he's an interesting one. I haven't had a strong take on him. I was, you know, he didn't have a great year last year, obviously. I was interested to see as I was looking through some things and, and looking at PPR points per game, he was still basically right on par with with Joe Mixon, a tenth of a point per game behind McCaffrey, who had some shortened games, two tenths of a point behind Leonard Fournette. That's that basically running back four, five, six, seven range. He only played 13 games, Camara, but was still, you know, essentially in that next group after the big three, which was, I mean, it was Taylor and Eckler that were the the big scorers. And then Derek Henry in terms of points per game in his eight games was, was very strong as well. So even despite things not really going particularly well for him, the TD rate not being as high as it has been in the past, that the receptions being way down, he still had a pretty productive season, at least on a per game basis. So I'm, I guess I'm open to the idea that if he doesn't get suspended, there's some people that have projected that he won't this year because things won't be decided on that, you know, 302 can be a a reasonable pick for him at the same time. Like he's on the other side of 25. We saw a a rough season out of him. I'm, I'm usually not betting on things to bounce back in that situation for him though. It might not necessarily be, I mean, the thing that he needs to bounce back is usage, is, is targets, is receptions. And so maybe that's a little bit more practical. I don't know that I'd be getting a, a much more expensive than this price tag. And to be fair, I haven't even been taking him when he's been cheaper than this. So uh, I, I guess I'm saying I, I get it, but I'm also not, <laughs> I'm not taking him. So we are the only team that does not select a running back even in the first two rounds, much less in the first three rounds. This format is often drafted a little bit closer to what you might expect from a half PPR format, even though it's very favorable for the two wide receivers in the flex. If you pull up the win the flex tool from 
Blair Andrews, you'll see just how much more firepower the wide receivers do offer you. At the same time, we know the drafters are trying to avoid the dead zone. So perhaps it's no surprise that drafters are getting in there and getting their running backs in those first two rounds. We now expect to see a long stretch of wide receivers after our Waller selection. It was Tyree Kill, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, AJ Brown, and Michael Pittman as the next five players. Nick Chubb and Ezekiel Elliott do slip in there. Uh, Team 11 has a Mixon, Barkley, Elliott start. They're currently on the clock in round four. Then I know you won't be happy with football guys who take DJ Moore at the 401. Not happy, but also I'm sure you think that's the right pick. Yeah, that was uh, not uh, not in this room. DJ Moore was not going to come back to us, but if you wanted to be that, I think that was the right pick. Yes, if I wanted to have a pipe dream of somebody who could come all the way back to us, it would have been DJ Moore certainly. And his ADP in the last couple of weeks is the three ten, so even the four hundred one there is a slight discount. We have more drafters also trying to get the tight end as George Kittle goes at the three twelve. We're looking at this group where in our draft range, players like Jalen Waddle, Cortland Sutton, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson by ADP would be kind of the pick right before us. And then we would be saddled with the Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, Gabriel Davis range. At which point I almost think we might consider DK Metcalf and Rashad Bateman, who are the wide receiver 24 and the wide receiver 25. We could see a falling running back if drafters are looking to, again, try and not have their name on a dead zone back here. And then it'll be interesting to see where the, where the quarterbacks start to come off. I'm not sure there's a running back I see that I would be interested in grabbing if they fall. I see you have acres in our queue. I mean, Dobbins is sort of interesting. I, I'm not super comfortable with acres. Montgomery, Jacobs, Gibson, Elijah Mitchell are the next other running backs. I am hopeful we can get one of these receivers. Waddle does go off the board here at 405. I I think I, I agree with you about bypassing essentially the Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks group of veterans. It would be interesting to look at. You mentioned Metcalf and Bateman. You didn't mention Gabe Davis. I I, I think he would be an interesting pick at 409 and hope that Metcalf or Bateman swings back around. Davis seems to be a little bit more buzzy. I do like to buy into what he has to offer the vertical element, the really strong red zone and uh, end zone targets that he's had over the last couple of years, even as a part-time player last year, was top 20 in the NFL in both red zone targets and end zone targets. If the routes do jump up, and I think most of everything that, that Buffalo's moves have signals suggest that they're going to, he's going to play a lot more. I mean, we want pieces of this offense. He could be pretty darn good, even if he's not a – a, a really high usage player. Deontay goes, Brandon Cooks has gone. Sutton is still sitting there. That's sort of the top receiver by ADP and, and the one that I would most prefer. What are you thinking? Yeah, I would be very willing to take him. I think that the vertical profile works out nicely with Russell Wilson's strengths he does not look good in the range of outcomes tool because he was not able to capitalize on hardly any of those vertical routes last year with teddy bridgewater and drew Locke throwing him the ball the other element here is if we did decide to go gabriel davis we could always come back around with jerry judy and get a different piece of that passing game and a younger piece a breakout piece i think sutton's a breakout candidate still with his injuries i mean coming his second year now back from the acl I, I mean, we can we can go Davis if you want to. I, I I was just talking him up, but Sutton's one that I would have thought was off the board when I was making that case. Okay, well, we'll go with Sutton here. He has had a season in the past that leads us to believe he can be a clear-cut wide receiver one. He has the body. He has the size. He'll be used as an absolute star in this offense if he's able to be kind of back to what he was. And while Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, the tight ends could siphon more volume than we're really looking for, they could also be the pieces that keep defenses from being able to key on him in the way that defenses will be able to key on some of the other receiving stars. 
So I like that element. So then Kim Akers did go one slot ahead of us. I think that this is kind of a crazy, so we didn't have to debate that, but I do think that this is potentially a crazy discount based on how he looked in last year's playoffs. Well, we wouldn't have expected him to be any good that soon after an ACL tear, or I mean, that soon after an Achilles injury. And for him to come back, be ready at that point, now have the entire offseason, be in this offense where we know that Matthew Stafford can make some mistakes and potentially get reined in by Sean McVay. The defense, so elite as well. This could be a high-scoring but run-based attack with Akers as the clear bell cow. Is that not a bounce-back player, a post-hype play that you're interested in there? He seems like someone who could be a 2023 first-round pick. You made it uh, sound a lot more appealing than how I was thinking about it, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I My understanding of the Achilles stuff is guys can get back and they could play, but it takes a, a while for the explosiveness to come back, right? And you've said that 18-month marker before the start of this year, he'll be, you know, somewhere like 14 months or something. Very well could that, – that could be enough time, basically. I guess I'm concerned because they do have another talented back in Daryl Henderson who played well at times. They did go to Acres and stick with Acres, pretty comfortably stick with him, if I remember correctly, in the playoffs – even despite him not doing particularly well, he was sort of the pretty solid lead. Uh, I'm going to pull that up just to confirm it. But yeah, there was a there was the NFC Championship game. He only played about 40% of the snaps, but he was over 50% in the other three games. He had an 81% snap game against Tampa. Anyway, we are back on the clock. We should get back to Akers in a minute. Gabriel Davis did swing around. Bateman went, Metcalf went, Allen Robinson, McLaurin, Godwin, Dalton Schultz. We do have Dobbins sitting there. Do you want to get your get a, get us a running back piece here, or should we keep going zero RB? Seems like we should keep going zero RB. And one thing I'd like to see where in this room J.K. Dobbins falls to. That is an interesting piece of information to kind of carry forward. But after we talked about Davis and considered him with our fourth round pick, I, I, he just seems like a no brainer at this point. And we get that zero RB powerhouse that especially within this group. It's just, it's a lot of fun to have. Let's do it. That gets us to a five pick start of Justin Jefferson, T Higgins, Darren Waller, Cortland Sutton, Gabriel Davis. I mentioned being not super excited about Darren Waller. Um, it's always tough for me when, you know, the receiver I would have preferred at that point probably was AJ Brown. We took AJ Brown in our last draft out of the one Oh four at that three Oh four spot. We also had taken pits in the second round. I feel much better about that Waller pick right now. I'm very excited about having that tight end, <clears throat> that elite tight end box checked when we get a Sutton Gabriel Davis four or five turn. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I think to always try and fit in that elite tight end, even if you're a little bit skeptical, because very often you get a little bit later in the draft and you wish you could have slid him in. I was even going to suggest that if Davis wasn't there, that our, options would probably be Dobbins versus TJ Hawkinson. You get that second tight end, especially if it's one you believe in. I mean, you would need it to be a player like Hawkinson where you thought the likelihood of him jumping into the big five, you know, going into 2023, being a guy who's a second round pick next year, you would need to have that kind of outlook. But if you have that kind of outlook and you have a chance to add the second tight end again in this format, it is such a big weapon, but I love having Davis. I would have loved to have Dobbins. I had mentioned to you after our last draft that I just hope our running backs would come through because I thought the rest of the draft was so locked and loaded. It'll be fun to see what options we do have here at running back through the middle and late rounds. But again, we see that that running back position has completely and totally dried up. After Alvin Kamara was drafted at the 302, we are now through the 506, and the only other running backs who have been selected are Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott, Reese Hall, and Cam Akers. And we do see Montgomery go off there at the 507, but yeah, I mean, that is wild. That's two plus full rounds. Again, starting at the 302. I mean, it was a running back heavy start, 
we see 15 running backs go in the first 26 picks. And then from that point, as you noted, it has been a very non-running back, very dead zone, respectful type of draft. A lot of drafters that are saying, look, I'm going to take running backs. I'm going to take them before the dead zone. Or I'm going to need somebody to be falling well past ADP to, to grab a dead zone back. I do see Josh Jacobs here go at 509. We're starting to get a couple of these running backs that feel like values to some people that you know that they're grabbing a couple of these dead zone backs. We have some quarterbacks off the board now. Josh Allen went at 404. Herbert and Mahomes are off the board, both in the fifth. Hawkinson did go one pick after us. There's seven tight ends off the board. Lamar Jackson now goes 509. And so we are starting to see a little bit of an elite quarterback run. Be interesting to see if anyone were able to make it back around to us. All of the four quarterback drafters so far are on this side of the board. There's four others that might consider like a Kyler. Uh, if he made it all the way back around to 609, I think he would be sort of interesting. Dobbin's still sitting there. You said it would be interesting to see how far he falls. Jacobs goes ahead of him. That's a pick that I personally am not a big fan of. We are we are seeing that slip that, that you referenced, and it will be interesting if that continues with some of these running back heavy teams. There's a couple that I think – looked like pretty good candidates to grab him before we would get a chance to. The team drafting out of eight has started Stephon Diggs, DeAndre Swift, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy. That is a dream team to this point. You would think that they would consider Dobbins coming back around, and if they get him, then I would probably label them as the early favorites. Obviously, we love DeAndre Swift. And in our FFPC draft plan 2022 show, we even mentioned that you might reach for DeAndre Swift at the end of round one if you get one of those picks kind of in the 9 through 12 range that you just frankly aren't quite as palatable as some of the other slots you could get, and then pair him with Barkley or Pitts coming back around, as opposed to taking the guys who are normally taken 9 through 12 who probably are not you know, clear-cut first-round picks anymore than Swift is. Interesting to see the team in 11 go with both Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, that, I mean, that's a ton of firepower at QB. I kind of like that move, especially if you think the other positions are flat and when Juju Smith-Schuster is the wide receiver who just went, we talked about some of the other running backs who went, you can make the argument that it's flat. I kind of thought we might see QBs slip in this particular room, but that's definitely not been the case so far. No, we saw that nice run. I, I was, I guess, a little bit surprised, mildly surprised, I do have Lamar higher than Kyler, but that that drafter went Lamar over Kyler because so far their only receiver is Marquise Brown. And so then getting Kyler on the way back, getting that Kyler Marquise Brown stack, that is the team that started mixing Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, you referenced earlier. So they got the the three running backs, maybe sort of a, a hyper-fragile build. They grabbed Marquise Brown, two quarterbacks now. I do think it's tougher to do the two quarterback, the two elite quarterback move when you've gone hyper fragile. It'll be interesting to see what that does to their receiver room. Sean, the drafter teammate went Darnell Mooney, added another receiver. Elijah Mitchell is now off the board. We've seen Alan Lazard now go off the board here in the early six. We are three picks away. Come on, come on. And Dobbins is still sitting there. Get through. Got to get through. Zach Ertz goes at 6.06. Our buddy Jack Miller is now on the board. He only has one running back. He also only has two receivers. He might think he needs to go receiver here. He does with Amon Ross St. Brown. That would have probably been my fallback if Dobbins went. The drafter in the five hole has two running backs. Took Derrick Henry on the way back. Took Cam Akers on the way back. The last two times he was picking before us. And we have this potential to consider a falling running back. Will it happen a third time? I'm going to be heartbroken if he doesn't make it one more pick. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to go with Gabriel Davis. I thought he might come back around. Okay, Nicky Dobbins it. is going to I – mean, Ben, he's going to lead the NFL in rushing yards. <laughs> 
and he did get through. Joe Burrow goes at the 6.08. J.K. Dobbins going to lead the NFL in rushing yards. Uh, we're going to grab him here at the 6.09. I mean, in addition to having, obviously, the ACL recovery, did he, like, break his leg today or anything like that? I didn't hear any reports of broken legs. No. And honestly, I mean, if, a lot of news today. We're drafting uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, Julio Jones lands with Tampa Bay earlier in the day, Tuesday. I think Julio had an outside. I mean, Baltimore was one of the, the spots that there was an outside shot for him to land. Him not landing there, if you want to make any case with the news today, you know, maybe just further signals very slightly that Baltimore wants to get back to their running ways. They might still land a, a Will Fuller or somebody, but Julio might have been someone that made us reconsider how, you know, their pass rate and those types of things. Him landing in Tampa certainly starts to thin out who's still available out there at receiver. They're going to go into the year probably with Bateman and like Devon DuVernay, James Proche, Tylen Wallace. Those are going to be their two, three, four receivers. I made a, a joke recently that you could probably name their tight end five before you can name their wide receiver five, which is not a, a very common thing. But they they grab two tight ends in this year's draft. They have a lot of depth at that position. They, they do seem like they're going to be going run heavy. I love that we got Dobbins there. As it swings back around, Tony Pollard, Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore, Drake London goes at the 701. Certainly would have been somebody that we would have liked to grab. Dallas Goddard goes 702. We are looking at a board that has three sort of dead zone backs Antonio Gibson, AJ Dillon, Miles Sanders at the top of the queue here at seven. And, and Gibson does go at 703. So Dillon Sanders, you have Amari Cooper, Russell Gage, you have Russell Wilson available. We have Cortland Sutton. I wouldn't be opposed to grabbing that stack. He is a top available QB. It feels flat at other positions. I could see the Devonta Smith pick as well. Do you see anything? Then I've resisted putting anyone on our queue to protest the value that is currently available here in round seven. But I do think that this boils down to Russell Wilson or Devonta Smith. As you mentioned, Wilson would be a, a, a solid fit with Cortland Sutton there. We think that Sutton is going to blow up. We've made that bet in this draft. I think that Devonta Smith, if you don't have A.J. Brown, you, you want to add him in if it's flat. Do you have a preference between these two guys? Let's go Wilson. I like to get, you know, start our two QBs in the in the QB window. Devonta Smith is a good pick here as well. I, I'm very comfortable taking him here, but I think we're going to like some receivers that we could get. And like you said, we made the bet on Sutton. I really do like our top four receivers. And we have had some QB aggressiveness early. The drafter in the eight slot has Jerry Judy. Does not have a QB yet. This sets us up to grab our guy KJ Hamler late and get the little double stack going. Maybe a Greg Dulcich. There's a lot of fun ways to play Russell Wilson late in drafts. There's also a lot of fun ways to play the Chiefs. You get that week 17 correlation. Because I'm not sure on the scoring uh, on this. Is this a, a cumulative scoring league? I believe. So. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Cumulative scoring. So the seven, week 17 correlation might not be quite as important, but. We did go Wilson. A.J. Dillon had a pretty big slide by ADP. He goes one pick after us. Obviously love the talent. He's tough in, in, in the range where he goes. Obviously with Aaron Jones also on the roster. Amari Cooper goes one pick after. How are you feeling so far? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good. I mean, I absolutely love our team. Russell Wilson isn't a player that I've drafted a lot so far this year, but I do think that he makes sense when you're in this particular spot where Joe Burrow is already gone and you're moving back into round seven. You don't necessarily need the receiver. I think Devontae Smith most of the time will be my selection there. But to be able to get the four wide receivers, the elite tight end, our running back falling to us. I mean, there's always the possibility that will look like a foolish pick or a wasted pick at some point. And we don't want listeners to think that, uh, even with my, my bold predictions, that we think it's a lock. It's a play where there are scenarios where that ends up being an incredible value. You are dealing with an injured player, and maybe you actually have to wait for the first month. We're going to have to build the rest of this team out in such a way that that selection will also work. I mean, you're going to need some other running back points and you're going to need to hit on some players in order for the team to win anyway. So from that perspective, I like it. I think that the build also works very nicely. We've talked about some of the specifics that we want to hit in terms of that wide receiver, heavy start, the elite tight end. Now we're positioned for two QBs in the window. I think that one of the scenarios we would love would be if Trey Lance comes back to us in round eight, but we positioned ourselves for some other possibilities as well. There are so many things you can do once you have this start that we have had. And I think that in small ways, we've also gotten some value. So the Trey Lance point is a really good one. I was thinking, I agree with you that typically that that pick would be Devonta Smith for me as well. And I've made the Devonta Smith pick like a a lot. (laughs) I just, I think he's undervalued. We've talked about that. I was thinking with our, I feel really good about our top four receivers. Certainly the wide receiver pocket that's going to be available to us at the eight, nine turn could be really appealing. That's where you get to the trailing Burks. You get to the sky Moores. you get to, you know, sometimes Kadarius Tony falls all the way back there. I, I wouldn't expect that. He's a, I think a, a little bit more buzzy with some analysts. I, I think he might go. Uh, Brandon, Ayuk might be there. There. I Did we go? Ayuk last draft. I think we, we went with Lance and Ayuk last draft out of the slot at the eight, nine turn. It is a really appealing group of receivers. At the same time, Devonta sort of like that's, I think, where some wide receiver value opens up again. Devonta feels like the end of a tier before it closes for a stretch where, you know, Amari Cooper, Hunter Renfro have gone this round. Um, I don't necessarily like those guys over some of the rookies you can get around later. So it would have made sense to grab Smith as sort of the last of, you know, the year two breakout options with Amon Ra, Elijah Moore off the board. And yet I do think this pocket of rookies we're going to have coming back is really interesting. But as you mentioned with Lance, I mean, it could play out either way. If some of these rookies start to go a little higher, we might be staring at Lance and thinking, well, we would have liked to have gone Devonta Lance as opposed to Russ and trying to get Traylon Burks or somebody. There are other interesting avenues as well. Pat Fryermuth is the top tight end available. You talked about the two, Earlier tight end moves, if he were to fall all the way back to us, I think we could consider pairing him with Waller. You've put some running backs into our queue. There's certainly some paths there as we start to try to build out some more running back depth, get into this later single-digit round, early double-digit round, prime sort of running back building area of the draft. And as you go through that, one of the other things that we're looking at is at – different levels, how do you build from the back to the front? So looking at sort of the 10, 9, 8 picks and how that affects the pick there in round seven. Also looking, you know, 20 through 16, working back and how those picks will influence what we do. One of the things that was available until today was the possibility that if you went a little bit more running back heavy, not necessarily hyper fragile in this format where it's probably not as viable as a half PPR format, but a little bit more running back heavy then you still have that shot at even just one player makes a big difference if julio jones is undervalued by five rounds and you can add him into not every team but a, a large percentage of teams then you have that avenue essentially to get a free receiver pick at the end we no longer have that i don't believe that'll be one of the interesting things to see today is how much does julio jones kind of fill into the Antonio Brown type of, not necessarily role, but dynamic within the team. And as drafters look at it, 
I also think that there's a chance, especially when you hear reports that the Packers were also in on him, and that probably would have been an even better situation when you consider the target volume that would have been available there. Do you think that then reflects back on Will Fuller some and drafters will be thinking, I mean, he's the next domino, and if he goes to the Green Bay Packers, then I mean, he, he jumps a long, long way, doesn't he? I've seen him go quite high in a couple spots. And that I've also seen him be a value very late. But certainly, yeah, the reaction to the Julio signing and, and the discussion of where he might go. And Trey Lance does go off, as does Tom Brady, who I think you can make a case now should be ahead of Russ. Um, but certainly with the Sutton pick, I think I would still take Russ. And then with the Sutton pick, Russ was the preference for us. But Brady and Lance both go. I think we kind of – I mean, I'm with you that Lance should go ahead of Russ. I'm going to rank it that way. We've talked a lot about how – excited I am about Lance's rushing upside but we you know this is a roster where we don't have Debo we do have Sutton uh, maybe that was a mistake but <laughs> but yeah to, to your point on Fuller I do think that that's an interesting thought that he might start to creep up now that Julio does sign immediately jumps and it might be it might wake people up a little bit to what those values are it has been pretty silly how late those guys have both been going with with their profiles just putting them on any team, they're certainly going to rise rounds. We're on deck. Brandon Ayuk, Traylon Burks still sitting there. Kadarius Tony still sitting there. We did get a nice little bit of run out. The only receivers that have gone other than Devonta Smith, Amari Cooper, Hunter Renfro, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, Michael Thomas. Three Q- QBs did go. Dak goes here before us. We are now on the clock. You have a lot of running backs in the queue, including Devin Singletary, who we definitely like. What, what are you going to advocate here for? Well, Dak would have been a really interesting choice if he had made it one more pick. He has an ADP at the 802 ahead of Trey Lance. And I think the Cowboys are going to score a lot of points, even if maybe it's not quite as many as their strongest enthusiasts believe. Then Devin Singletary has dropped about two-thirds, three-quarters of a round. It would fit nicely with a team that doesn't have a lot of running backs. That probably would be my preference. Yeah, let's do that. And... Yeah. Because we have enough receiver options that we like. One of Ayuk or Burks or Tony or Sky Moore. You don't, I, I don't know how high you are on Tony or will, whether you're willing to make that bet, but I, I do think he'd be really interesting at 904. But we should have the ability to get our wide receiver five here. It's not going to be the heaviest wide receiver build. But Singletary's a really nice – I mean, we've, we've made a few detours. He's another really nice detour, frankly. I mean, I think each of the pieces – that we've gone away from receiver depth to get have been thoughtful pieces. Dobbins, obviously an incredible value. Somebody you would have considered, I think at 504, we were discussing at 504. You're very excited about his potential. Waller certainly makes a ton of sense in the third round. We don't have to rehash that, but Wilson in terms of stacking and getting some high end QB upside into the build and then Singletary well after ADP and in a, you know, pretty zero RB-ish draft, obviously going RB in the sixth round. It's not our, our most zero RB draft ever, but most people think of this as zero RB. Getting Singletary in there, a pretty stable addition to our group. There's been some stuff that have people a little bit scared off of him. I'm still pretty excited, personally, um, largely because you're so excited about him, but... Uh, when I went through my projections, he's had at least three targets per game every year. We've talked a lot about how Cook is going to play on the passing downs, but Singletary has always been in these committees, and he still earns at least some targets, right? That's That comes out to 50 targets in a 17-game season. If he can be a three-target-a-game guy, even with Cook playing on some passing downs, that's enough. That's more than I think the market is is playing into his profile. And and his, he's probably more established now going into this year as the lead early down back than he was before. So... Some of those targets on early downs could translate. <clears throat> Tony and I, you go. Traylon Burks feels like the pick. Your Cole Komet goes. What do you think? Yeah, I would feel good with Burks here. I also would be happy to continue with our running backs and take one of your Seattle sort of co-starters or take Penny, the uh, supposed starter at this point. Chris Olave, also interesting if the Saints actually do go out there and sling it around the reason they selected him so early is that he's supposed to be pro-ready, help them win this year, which we know, even with all of the upheaval, is their goal. 
So I, I like the rookie wide receivers that we're probably going to have a shot or often we have a shot at Garrett Wilson later. So if you would prefer to go with Burks at this point, I, I think that's a great pick. Quarterbacks here are not really the option. I think we're looking at them kind of the next round. I was going to leave it to you, but we got five seconds. So Burks it is. <laughs> so my, my absolute favorite thing. I, I, I tend to defer to you maybe too much. So you, you've taken to a, Describing all of our options and leaving me 10 seconds to, to, to have to decide. Yeah, well, 10 seconds, Ben. How many seconds do you need to say? Just <laughs> I gotta give second. you enough time to click the name. I don't one want us to auto draft. Also, Ben has full control of this draft as well. So if he uh, needs to hit one in an emergency situation, we did have Rashad Penny at the top of our queue there. So had we timed out, I mean, Ben. Perhaps that was just a crafty way of me trying to get another running back <laughs> in there. What, what would you have thought of, of adding Penny? With well, his... I was going to ask you to 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 flesh out that thought more because I would have thought with five or four receivers through eight rounds and the potential to take Traylon Burks at a good price, because I think you can consider Burks in the early eighth. And we're here at nine oh four. I, I mean, I thought he was sort of the no brainer pick. We need to get our our receiver depth in order. There are still some good late receiver values, but I wanted you to, to flesh that out a little bit more and explain to me why. I know you're a little higher on the Seattle situation than me generally, but either of those running backs, I, they're not probably going to catch a ton of passes. They're both probably very good peer rushers. They're going to have some some weekly upside. Got to be, you know, potential for some long TD runs out of both of them. That they just profile that way. That would be very exciting, certainly. But what would it – I mean, is it a structural thing? Is it the player-specific? What What was it – flesh that out for me a little bit. Well, we would have Penny four slots below ADP. And so one of the things that we're trying to do with our zero RB builds is not just hit on players that we think are as talented as the guys who are going in the first two or three rounds, but also hit on those players at an even cheaper price than where they usually go. And so it would have been a double value from that perspective. I also think that the contingency-based upside for guys like Devin Singletary and Rashad Penny is through the roof. We saw that play out at the end of last season. I'm a little bit surprised from the Singletary perspective where James Cook is mostly targeting those receiving downs. Now, again, I mentioned in every article where I reference Singletary that if you do have a young explosive back, that's always a risk because the explosive backs can author those highlight plays that catch everyone's attention, including the coaching staff. Those things tend to stick in the mind. That can trigger a change in the way that the volume works. You think about the situation several years ago where Nick Chubb was very good on a handful of plays early on, and the Cleveland Browns said uh, so long to Carlos Hyde, made sure that they cleared the path for him. Now, the Bills won't be getting rid of Devin Singletary, but they could definitely cut his work. One of the things about Singletary at his price is just that even if you're wrong, Singletary is going to be fine in round eight in this Buffalo Bills offense. One of the things that I think actually isn't being considered probably enough by drafters, I, I think it's risk of Cook, but not balanced out by the potential upside that Singletary has and the fact that the Bills were so dynamic when Singletary was firing on all cylinders and when they really committed to him. I don't expect that the Bills are just going to write that off as a fluke. I mean, he was a big part of actually dealing with the way that defenses were stopping them last season. So I expect him to be very involved again. I do think he's more talented than the general perception. I think that you can make that same case with Penny. One of the things with Penny, though, is that he is kind of at that price and in that situation where you get to midseason, if the team is floundering, he gets a little bit nicked up and their second round pick is running well, that you could see Walker really run away with this situation during the time period that you know really tends to matter for fantasy football. And we need with our zero RB candidates to be targeting players who are going to have some of that value down the stretch as well. So from that perspective, I think it can go either way. It is interesting in this draft that now we are quite a bit further through and neither of those players goes in round nine at all, but James Cook does go at the 906. Yeah, Penny and Walker, 
still sitting there after the 1002 has been selected. We are, and now the 1003 goes off. Michael Hardman goes a little higher than I'm typically seeing him go. I think there's still some interesting pass there. Rashad White goes. Sky Moore finally comes off at 10.05. We still have Garrett Wilson available to us as well with three picks away. Penny, Walker, Garrett Wilson still in the queue. Feel pretty good about what we can do here. I agree with everything you said about Singletary. You, you basically described the, the phrase that I stole from you that people sometimes now give me credit for, but the, the small miss, big hit. Like, you're right. And at 8.09, he's going to be fine in this offense. Like, he may not be amazing, but especially in this build, we're going to get points out of him. It's not like he's going to be completely out of the offense. So if he's a floor play, he's a floor play. But then there's also upside scenarios, which you sort of described, that, that they actually are buying into his huge late season run more than the market thinks they're going to buy into it. Penny does go. Lockett goes right behind him. So we're one pick away with... Ken Walker and Garrett Wilson, I think, being our favorites at running back and receiver pretty clearly. Walker, behind him, he's fallen quite a bit behind ADP. And then behind him you have, and this is the drafter that has taken a couple of the running backs when they've slipped. But behind him you have Melvin Gordon, Damian Pierce, Ronald Jones is interesting. Naheem Hines, and then into that Isaiah Spiller, Alexander Madison, Michael Carter, Daryl Henderson. Tier, I definitely have Walker ahead by quite a bit of the Gordon and Pierce types. And one of the other thoughts about, you know, why we would have perhaps taken a running back in round nine is that we were pretty committed to taking Garrett Wilson in round 10 if he came back to us. But uh, I mean, I'm still very happy that he has here and he does create quite a few options for us. Cause we can take Walker, we can take Wilson. We can look at Justin Fields if we're trying to avoid kind of missing the QB window. Is there, do you have an argument or a player here to take us in a different direction than Garrett Wilson? Than Garrett Wilson. I, I mean, Walker, did you, you, you liked Penny a lot more than Walker. Walker's ADP is 90. Wilson's is 125. We're talking about a 35 ADP gap. Wilson might even swing back around. Walker is a significant value by ADP at this point. If you were into him as much as Penny, if you're not, I'm fine taking Wilson here. I, I very much think he's a good pick at this point. Let's make sure that we get Wilson because we know that he's our guy. I do think that, especially with the drafters in between having decent running back depth, that they're going to be tempted to let him go. I think that in some other formats that we might also kind of factor into our thinking on Walker, his ADP has fallen a lot further. And so the ADP that we're seeing specifically with this could be a little bit of a false ADP. That doesn't mean that he's not a good value here. Uh, but also if we were to miss on him and then kind of go to either a QB or Ronald Jones, I think those would also be scenarios that I'd be pretty happy with. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad we went Wilson there in retrospect. I was surprised to see Walker fall that far, but you're right. This ADP might not be the most reliable. It is, it is sometimes tough. Obviously you're looking at things like ADP and the draft team and you're saying, I mean, this looks like an incredible value. And he is the top guy now by 10 picks in ADP. I, I do sort of expect he'll still go before we get back up. These drafters taking a little long like we did. It seems like maybe they're considering the same thing. Do I go with the guy I wanted to take or do I take the Ken Walker value? Fields goes. Then I haven't heard anything that would suggest that Clyde edwards O'Leary being put on PUP to start training camp is anything more than probably just a, a very minor nuisance to where maybe he's not going to practice the first day. And so he gets that designation, but is there any sense that you have or any uh, information that you have to where this actually piques your interest in Ronald Jones even a little bit more? I mean, I, it does. If, if it lingers at all, I, I, it erases any of the very, very minor doubt that there was some talk that potentially Jones would be on the outside looking in for a roster spot. I don't think the team is going to go into the season if CEH is not able to practice a lot through August with CEH. McKinnon is certainly not a picture of health. And uh, their late-round rookie Isaiah Pacheco as their only backs in that scenario. So it was a 
I guess a very slight positive, but it doesn't sound like it's a, a very serious thing. Like you said, probably not a huge deal. And I wasn't necessarily really buying that Jones might be on the roster bubble. Anyway, it does probably give Jones some chance to run with the ones as well for a little bit and make his case for why he is comfortably on the roster. Walker has not gone. See three QBs go here at the turn. Melvin Gordon went. You're looking at Walker and Ronald Jones, considering Ronald Jones over Walker. I'm very comfortable with that. I mean, I'm not like going to be the one to advocate for a Seahawks running back. <laughs> you've, you've had to force Walker onto some of our teams this offseason. I do think we're sort of hitting that end of the draftable receivers group that we talk about sometimes. Rondell Moore is still sitting there. Tyler Boyd is still sitting there. Would have no issue adding either of them whatsoever. Ronald Jones does go one pick before us. And so we're now on the clock. And the other dynamic that I think that we need to consider, but not necessarily overrate, is that all of the tight ends that we like are going to go in between this pick and our next pick. And so if we want Albert O, if we want Gerald Everett, if we want Noah Fant, we probably have to pull the trigger, but we but we don't have to do that. Obviously, Ken Walker, I think, is the other really good possibility here. You said you weren't going to force a Seattle running back. Do you have any tight ends that you prefer over him? It would probably be the Albert O bet, just because we have the Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton stack. I like Everett probably more in a vacuum right now because of the Dulcich concerns. We have 10 seconds. And Ronald Moore, I think we can make that pick as well. It's up to you. Let's go with Walker. That gives us some extra big time talent at the position. Again, one of the things that I think gets overlooked sometimes as analysts and drafters are talking about zero RB is just how much talent you can get late. And one of the things that you will sometimes see in a room that is maybe more focused on the projections than we are is that when you do have a, a flip type of situation where a back goes from being a presumed starter to the presumed backup, he gets severely punished, which is definitely what's happening with Walker right now. There is obviously the disappointment as well that they haven't landed a QB that gives the overall offense more scoring upside. So I think that a little bit of his fall too reflects disappointment in Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers instead of the Seahawks. But uh, again, we see this play out every season. It doesn't necessarily happen with every single team, and it doesn't necessarily happen with every single player who makes the zero RB candidates list. But to be able to draft a player of that talent level at this part of the draft, again, it's just one of the underpinnings for why the approach works so well in the first place. Your, your players who do hit are just going to score many, many more points than the draft slot indicates I like to have that in the situation. And again, because we did take Daryl Waller, I think that we can take a little bit more risk at tight end. When you said that you wanted Albert O for Russell Wilson, that was kind of what clinched it for me because <laughs> if we're going to make that kind of play, I, I want it to be on Greg Dulcich at the end. I mean, if it's not a an Albert O is going to jump out and show off the form that made him the most I mean, Albert O is there with Kyle Pitts in terms of athleticism. He flips the hips. I mean, that's that's a scouting term, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Swivel. It, right, yeah. So if he can do that when he's catching passes from, from Drew Locke, I mean, just imagine what the potential upside is in this offense with Russell Wilson. Then I'll go through and look through some of these reports on the Broncos in this Dulcich-Albert O battle. And it led me to believe there's actually a lot of optimism about both players and that Dulcich still has plenty of ways to go, which is one of the reasons why he actually is just still so inexpensive in drafts when you consider what the target competition is going to be and you consider what the history of rookie tight ends happens to be. And so I think that we will get that shot late in drafts if we want, but that did actually encourage me a little bit about Albert Owens. We're looking at him as a potential value. Now, those players have gone off. We're looking at a pretty empty tight end board at this point that could push us into Trey McBride territory a little bit later. 
Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting tight end discussions in our second episode. We should wrap up here after 11 rounds, come back, hit the rest of this draft. We started Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Darren Waller, Cortland Sutton, Gabriel Davis, J.K. Dobbins, Russell Wilson, Devin Singletary, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Ken Walker. We have six receivers, maybe not quite as receiver heavy as usual, two rookie receivers in there, three backs already. Darren Waller, Russell Wilson, fun build. We'll come back later this week with the rest of our Provos versus Joe's draft. And Ben, that'll do it for the first half of our FFPC Pros versus Joe's draft. Really excited to be involved in this competition. The FFPC does such a great job. We're not only going to be playing this, obviously, but the variety of tournaments that the FFPC offers. We're in the best ball tournament. We're in the Superflex tournament. We'll be in the FPC tournament. And obviously, you and I will be drafting in a number of main events. Can't wait for that. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Ben has a really cool new venture that you want to subscribe to. That is Stealing Lines, a betting project with Dalton Cates. Also, if you haven't subscribed to Stealing Signals yet, I mean, now is the time. You don't want to miss it. We'd also love to have you over at Rotoviz for offering podcast listeners a 10% discount to their one-year subscription using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Then they get these pods when they drop. If you subscribe to our feed, leave us a rating and review. The Stealing Bananas community has been really, really cool. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we're enjoying all of the banter on social media. I'm enjoying it through some people who report the most hilarious things to me. And it just it makes me feel so good to know that you guys are out there. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.